Good morning, church family. How's everyone doing? Are we good? Uh, praise the Lord for His Word, read um, so beautifully this morning. And uh, there's uh, some wonderful themes that I want to highlight in that text um, for us now. So I think we've all seen the movies where there is um, an undercover agent, right? Everybody seen an undercover agent movie? Well, this is what normally happens. There's a platform used as an engineer or a, a doctor or a businessman, shop owner. Meanwhile, underneath the surface, there is an undercover agent or a spy doing his work, uh, a policeman most of the time. And people are unaware of the intricate web that has been woven as this work is going on beneath the surface behind the scenes of the movie. You know the picture. Probably all got your favorite movie in mind right now. Most in the movie, most um, observing from the outside are oblivious to this web of work that is consistently going on behind the scenes. In these verses that were read a moment ago, we are very privileged to be allowed to look undercover into what is hidden and into what is secret of God's work. It's one of the most beautiful joys of reading the Bible. We are given glimpses behind the scenes um, into the secret realms of what is going on in God's work. And uh, as we make application today, that's, that's our privilege as the reader of these, of these texts. Do you know that God is still, today, currently working undercover? Um, all the time, God is busy with his intricate web weaving that connects all the details of our lives into a web of um, his glory and a web ultimately for his purpose. Um, so let me make that statement. God is currently. He is currently working a web um, in all the details of our lives, particularly those that know the Lord, uh, for good. And he's working this web for his glory and for his purpose. But this is the sad thing. Most are oblivious to what's going on. Same as the, the plot story of your uh, movie that you are thinking about. Most are oblivious to God's work. But today, we take a look undercover. So look undercover with me. Number one, God's undercover work is beyond expectation. God's undercover work is beyond expectation. Last week, we were left in tension. I don't know if you remember, but when we finished um, chapter eight, this was the tension. God says to Samuel, go and make for the people a king. Go and obey their voice. And then Samuel's instruction to the, to the people are, Go, everyone to your own town. It's almost like he's shooing them off. And I, I, I feel the tension in the text because um, that's how Samuel's feeling. He's saying this is counter to what God would normally say. Um, God is king. He should be king. Why would he now give the throne to another? So he shoes the people home, and that's where we're left. Kind of hanging dry there at the end of the chapter. The passage begins now with the first introduction. This is the next chapter. With the first introduction we have to the man Saul. Now, as the reader of the passage... As a reader through the Bible, we quickly start thinking, well, obviously this is the man. But all of what we are reading here is really behind the scenes work. But we are allowed the privilege of seeing behind the scenes. Saul fits the bill of the kind of person that the people of Israel were looking for. He is tall, dark, and handsome. Well, I don't know about the dark, but he's definitely tall and handsome. And that is stressed in the text. But there's way more to Saul. And I want to bring this out today because we're going to journey now with the man as he becomes king of Israel, the first king of Israel, there's more to the man, and I want to point these things out. He was from small beginnings. Make note of that. If you're taking notes this morning, or if you've got your Bible open, just scribble in the, in the margin there this 
theme that comes out in the early introductions of the man. He's from small, unimportant farming beginnings. This is the kind of family that he lived in, in an unimpressive tribe in Israel, the smallest tribe of Benjamin. They were small in authority. They were small in land. They were small in terms of livestock. This was the beginning of the man that would become great, the king of Israel. No one would have expected the first king of God's people to come from such small beginnings as Benjamin. But it was these small beginnings that established a certain quality for Saul that I want to point out as well. And the quality is admirable. Saul was innocent. He was not expecting a throne when he went out to look for donkeys. He's not affected. I, I, I know that this is true of our lives. Think of somebody like this, where in, in life we cross paths with people who have been affected by their surroundings. I think in English there's even a term for that, like, a, like an expression of somebody being affected, where they start to talk a certain way, start to behave a certain way, and dress a certain way. They're affected by their status or their position in society. Saul was not that guy at all. Saul would have had no ambition at all to be king. Don't see it in the flavor, don't see it in the introduction. He was the kind of guy that was not longing for fame and not longing for power, which is the kind of person that we see God to be grooming for this very important position. And now we understand God's undercover work. God working undercover to groom his man for a job that was not even there. There was no job position that had been created to this point. Now there is a position for the first time and God already has his man ready to start in this new position, even though his candidate is unexpected. I'm gonna just stall there for one second. That's an awesome point to stall. Are you guys working on this mic? Because I'm feeling like it's in a bit of a tunnel. Is that, is that good? Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Caroline. Guys, this is what God often does as we um, think through God's work and activity undercover. He is the kind of God that uses who we would seem to be unexpected at first, but on close, careful inspection, we discover the person that God chooses is always the perfect fit. Notice, God has given us this wonderful work of his before. It's his modus operandi from 1 Samuel. So take your Bible right now and look back to chapter 2. And just maybe mark this in your Bible as a, as a place where this modus operandi has been established for us to be ready for. Chapter 2, verse 8. In the beautiful song of Hannah, there is this plan and purpose and work operation of God laid out for us. It's almost like we should have expected it when Saul was chosen. This is what God does. He raises up in a song of praise and anthem of who God is. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherit the seat of honor. This is the work of God. This is the hand of God. This is God's undercover web making. And this is what he does. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. The point I want to make is God's undercover work is beyond our expectation. And this image is a lovely place to finish this point. With God having established pillars that we don't see, that hold up the whole world. That image of God being in control of all things from behind the scenes. It's like that image I've seen once before painted with God holding a little globe in his hand. This is the image of the text. And the, the example of that image is now played out 
in the selection of Saul from very, very insignificant and unexpected beginnings. This is what God does, and this is what God is currently doing behind the scenes. Number two, God's undercover work proves sovereign execution. God's undercover work proves sovereign execution. The first verse of chapter 9, um, the first verses of chapter 9 have established that Paul is from small beginnings. Um, in fact, when I was uh, trying to think about sermon titles for this morning, uh, I wanted to land on a different title. I wanted to call this, this section of God's word, Burki. I love Afrikaans. It's so, so awesome. You can take a word like Bur, which means, uh, what does it mean? Farmer. You can add this little T-J-I-E on the end and make it suddenly a small farmer, right? So being insignificant in his beginnings, I thought that would be a perfect sermon title, Burki, right? And then a little bit later on, I, I noticed that he was looking for donkeys, so I wanted to call the sermon Donkey Burki. <laughs> so how about you just say that out loud? Say Donkey Burki, because it's very satisfying. <laughs> donkey Burki. Because the storyline all the way to chapter 10, verse 16, where Amber read, is basically a few days in the life of a donkey burki. He wakes up one morning and he discovers that the donkeys are gone, which is not really different to farming in South Africa. You wake up and you find out that your bucky is gone. <laughs> and that's really what is going on here. A donkey being gone and a bucky being gone, exactly the same thing. This beast of burden, something very valuable in farming has disappeared overnight. And Saul sends... Um, well, Saul is sent by his dad, Kish, to go and find the donkeys. And this is, <laughs> I almost hear him say, like, yapa, as he's <laughs> sent out to go and find the, find the donkeys. But this is the quality that we like about Saul, isn't it? The quality of obedience, where dad says, and there's no kind of kick up a fuss. There's just this automatic, you know, immediate obedience of Saul to go and find the donkeys um, that day. Another quality, perhaps, of, of the kind of king that God was looking for to lead his people. Now, searching for the blessed beasts of burden uh, takes them on this huge journey that Amber laboriously laid out for us in all those long terms. Um, verse 4, they land up after three days of searching in a place called Zuk. And we say, so what, and keep reading. But to pause there on that geography, we notice something very important. What's so important about Zuk? Well, this was the home of Samuel, the great seer. His home was in Ramah. We know that from the text so far. His hometown was established right there. And just as Saul is thinking that, you know, Pa is starting to get worried about him, more than worried about the donkeys setting off home, his helpers suggest one more last resort. And this was, let's go to the home of that seer that we've heard about, and let me just pause and just take an aside here. Seer being that progression toward prophet, as is labeled in your parenthesis in your Bible there. Um, seer is a wonderful word in the Hebrew. It describes the work of a man that's progressing toward prophecy. A man that has insight, he sees, like a seer, into the, the word of God, into the things of God. What awesome advice from the helper. Let's go and look to that guy. He has insight into the things of God. Surely he can help our situation and help us find these animals and, and locate the donkeys. So Samuel, um, being a famous, renowned, now leader of God, I mean, he holds these big titles in society. Um, it, you know, his fame has preceded him, and everyone that they bumped into kind of knew his daily schedule. They know where he would be in that day, what kind of thing he would be doing. 
And very quickly, their paths cross. This duo and Samuel's paths cross with the prophet, the priest, and the judge, the magistrate of the day uh, for the very first time. And this is a glorious moment. Out of a very small happening, a very small beginning, we now have a very glorious, historic moment where Saul would cross paths with Samuel, God's man, God's mediator, God's, God's mouthpiece. We have every right as the reader of the Bible at this point to suggest things like coincidence, right? We have every right to look at the Bible and suggest things like chance or fate would be the words that come to mind. If the text jumps from verse 14 to verse 18 in the passage without the verses in between, if you look at your Bible closely, you would have every right to suggest chance because the narrative would just flow beautifully, but... Scholars have pointed out that there is a few verses between 14 and 18 that have been stuck in there. Now, not stuck into the manuscripts. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not suggesting that this is added to your Bible. It's a linguistic tool where the author has added additional information that is not really necessary to teach us something very, very important about what's going on in this chapter. It's what scholars have called an intrusion where by language, an author has added additional information into the passage that we see undercover. When you're reading your Bible, that's where you need to pause and focus on what God is saying of himself, information that is not really necessary to the narrative or the storyline. Let me read it for you again from verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, think about this, before he came to find Samuel, the Lord had revealed something to Samuel before behind and underneath, undercover, and this is what was revealed. Tomorrow, about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. So really, Samuel's thinking, why would you send somebody from Benjamin? And you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He will save my people from the hand of the Philistines, which is very hard to believe. For I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And when, Saul, when Samuel saw Saul for the very first time, the Lord told him, here is the man of whom I spoke to you. So there's almost these two revelations that are given to him. He it is who shall restrain or govern or um, lead, would be a nice way to translate that word, restrain or govern my people. And when I looked at the Hebrew here, I was, I was so blessed to find this undercover theme running through the language here as well, where the word used for um, God speaking to, to Samuel is literally to uncover his ear. Uncover. You see the, the connection with the, with the title of the sermon? To, to whisper in his ear, to tell him a secret in his ear. God uncovered his uncover work is what is going on in just those few verses. What Samuel hears and what we the reader learn is that God at this point was overruling all of Saul's moments and all of Saul's movements. While he drifted around the countryside looking for silly animals, God was the one that was in control of all of those details. Now, if you're a mature Christian, you're really making connection. But God was undercover to make a great event out of a very small happening, and it came to being right here in these verses. He came looking to to find a donkey and left anointed as king. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the gear shift in life? I mean, the plot just takes this massive, you know, big gear shift right there in, the, in those few verses. 
while my father sent out to look for donkeys, God overruled. And we learn in those verses that Saul was actually sent by God, not by far from the farm. God ruling through and in spite of the most common stuff in life is what I discover in this text. Even in spite of our own human will. You might say, no, but surely God's created us with freedom of will. I want to point you to a verse of scripture that really grounds my understanding of our human will. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way. Now, I want to describe that word heart in the Hebrew here. It's the whole being of man. It is that place where feelings originate, that place where the will is initially sparked in the heart, the, the wholeness of man. That's what is planning his way. So here's a being that is with all of himself choosing a direction. But now look at the next part of the verse. But the Lord establishes his steps. If there is a verse in scripture that grounds my understanding of the human will and how God is sovereign over these things, it is that verse from Proverbs 16, 9. And a narrative text like verse Samuel, chapter 9 and 10, the first part. God overruling in spite of the most common stuff and choices of our lives, God is overruling to accomplish his glory and accomplish his purpose in this world. He's got the world here in his hand and it's propped up by pillars that he has built. That's the image that we've seen today already. Now, sometimes God may allow us to, to see into secrets. Um, I, I'm aware of that in the passage. Sometimes God, first, second, I think it's 2 Corinthians, um, chapter 3, verse 16. It's like the John 3:16, but of Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3:16 says this, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. There's this idea of turning to God and God allowing us, uncovering our ears, God allowing us to see the secrets of life. Um, we can then, you know, rejoice in God's glorious plan and God's glorious purpose. But most of the time, what I learned from 1 Samuel is that what we are to do is to keep on looking for donkeys. In all seriousness. It's almost like gigglish, you know. But when you think of the text, we are to keep on looking for donkeys to eventually arrive at that crossroads where God's plan may evolve for us. God is busy, as I see in this text, all the time. He's never he doesn't have a sleeping moment. He is consistently busy. And so what I learned to do from this passage is to trust him. And you might say to me, well, Pastor, why must I trust God? I mean, I've just been consistently looking for donkeys most of my life. One turn after the next, just the mundane of life. And I want to remind you of the spiritual nature of the donkey hunting. That even in that, God has got purpose and God has got plan for you. Establishing who you are, fashioning and forming your your, your particular personality and your gifts and your traits, uh, making you who you are, even in the little details of life. But I want to give you a deeper reason as to why you must keep on doing what God has given you to do. And it comes from the character of God found in those verses again, verses 16 through 17 here. I, want you to, I did read it and I try to stress it a little bit, but notice the reason that is given here for the choice of the man Saul. The reason that's given is, it found in verse 16, for, that's reason, for I have seen my people, my people, because, that's reason, because their cry has come to me. There's, there's the reason there. And I find a God in the passage who is a God of mercy. I find a God of compassion. And this drives me to keep doing what I'm doing. 
day after day after day because behind the scenes, I can trust the God who is merciful and compassionate. So where is the merciful and compassionate? Actually, I still haven't landed properly in my mind. Well, it's in the little word, my. My people. It's, it's found in that little word, my, that this man would now come and govern my people in those verses. God takes possession of a people who just a few verses earlier in the book of 1 Samuel had completely rejected him, is the point. 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, God says to Samuel, don't panic, don't panic. It seems like the people are rejecting you. No, no, no. The people are rejecting me, were God's words. They have pushed me out of their life. They, they've, they've taken me off the throne, and they have, they've now requested somebody else to be put on the throne. And we took a whole Sunday to consider the war that goes on in our human heart. That we're consistently doing that. We're consistently taking God off his throne, replacing God with other things, experiences, and people. God substitutes, which we call idols. And our heart is continually manufacturing God substitutes to love, God substitutes to follow, and God substitutes to trust. And we are at the process, in the process of doing that, we are pushing God off his throne and out of his control and out of our lives. Consistently doing that. That's the condition of the human heart in our depravity. Yet, I find in the text God's reaction to that. It should be to wipe us out. It should be. No one deserves the throne more than God. He doesn't have to put up with anybody else. No competition. He's a jealous God. Why would he, why would he put that as the first commandment in his commandments? You should love me above all others. No idols. Because this is first and foremost in the mind of God. We're in dangerous territory to be pushing God out of his rightful place. But even in our consistent doing that, in our, in our, in our persistence, in, you know, in, our, in the war of our heart, we find a God who is merciful and a God who is compassionate and a God who shows great patience with us as he did with his people on this occasion. It's because of that that I choose to trust. Because of that persistence and that endurance, that patience, mercy, and compassion that I choose to trust God. Because I've learned in 1 Samuel and in the gospel of Jesus Christ I've learned that God's mercy is bigger than my rejection. And church, I want to tell you, this is, the, this is the, the message we proclaim to the world. I know a God who has bigger mercy than your rejection. I know a God who has provided in the cross of Jesus mercy for us. He has purchased for us mercy on the cross to extend to a people who continually reject Him. This is the greatest gravity, the greatest pull for me toward Jesus and toward God, toward trust in Him that I find in 1 Samuel chapters 9 and 10. God is a God that works beyond our expectation. He is a God who works to prove a sovereign execution in the mundane of life. God is weaving this web in places we know nothing of to accomplish His purpose, to accomplish His his plan to accomplish his glory and believers benefit from that. And we learn to trust in his character in this text. Amen? I mean, hallelujah, praise the Lord, you know, that God would extend to us grace and mercy like that.
I'm not just going to say as an aside before I tackle t- uh, point number three. I mentioned very quickly there that mercy was purchased. There's no way that the people of God could experience that kind of mercy and that kind of compassion from the God who is jealous in First Samuel without a cross standing in human history. God understand that. The work of Jesus on the cross covers all of human history from Adam to when Jesus returns or we die. The whole of human history is covered by a cross that stands in history where mercy like that and compassion like that were purchased at great cost. Because if it was based on my rejection, I'm going to hell. Anyone that rejects the Lord is going to hell. That's what the Bible says very, very plainly because of our sin. We deserve to be, because we've basically spat in Christ's face, we've told God, I don't want you or your plan or your glory or your word. I don't trust you. We deserve hell, the Bible says. But because of the cross and someone else, Jesus Christ, who took the penalty for us, we now can, uh, can look forward to glory and we can, be anticip- we can be those that anticipate mercy and compassion in light of our rejection the gospel in 1st Samuel chapter 9 and 10. Point number three, God's undercover work requires internal examination. And this is the place we need to uh, think about ourselves, look into your heart just a little bit. There's loads of details at past. You might wonder why there's such a long reading this morning. Well, there are themes that connect this passage together, lots of them. And it took me hours of study to find those. There's no mistake, but... And, and every single one of those details, I said to Amber, you know, uh, what, what do I do? Do I, do I preach the big themes or do I dive into the little ones? What I decided to do was write a sermon for this morning and then write about six to ten different devotions out of this same passage. Because there are rabbit trails to take, you know. Little things like the parental issue, you know, that um, here, here it is. A, a father is worried for his son as he's now looking for donkeys and and. and the consideration of the son for the parents, I mean, that's a whole nother issue. There's, there's lots of those little details that pass by. So I don't think this is the only thing to learn from a passage this large in God's word. But the big themes are the thing to preach. And this is how it happens. The storyline goes on. Saul is honored in a very specific pre-planned meal. Again, God's sovereignty. Samuel sets aside the meat and he prepares the cook and he does all this kind of stuff to, to now set, a, set up a plan that, Saul's oblivious to. He's looking for donkeys and all of this stuff is going on behind the scenes because of God's sovereign hand. We've looked at that in the previous point. Don't look over these things. Accommodation for the night. All of this is established for Saul and his helper. Then early in the morning, before everyone is stirring around, these little details are important. Before they're up and about, there's there's undercover stuff going on. There's this secretness um, that's happening in the passage from beginning to end. Hence the title of the sermon. Before everyone's up and about, Samuel's now instructed Saul to send his helper ahead so there's alone time, just the two of them. This is the, the, the scene that's happening here. Samuel is the one that symbolically, in a very symbolic way, anoints Saul as prince slash leader slash about to be king. He would only be king officially when he was recognized publicly. But now behind the scenes, symbolically, He's anointed as king. And Saul, I mean, you can't help but think about how confused this guy must be. I mean, yes, poor Saul. I mean, he's probably dressed in his shepherding gear, you know? Smelling like 
donkeys. <laughs> and he's, he's right here getting anointed with oil to be king. He's struggling, obviously, with all that's happened in the last little while. And so God providentially provides three signs to affirm the poor guy, to give him some measures of assurance. And the first sign is, hey, when you're going on the, on the and this is all told by Samuel to Saul, when you're on your road today, this is all going to happen today, you're going to meet up firstly with two men. And the two men are going to be right at the Pacific place at the grave of one of your ancestors. This is all detailed in the passage. And he, they will tell you that the donkeys have been found. Okay, first assurance for you. And for us and for Saul, what we learn from the text is it's healthy for a leader to remember that the past is behind. The donkeys have been found, right? You can now start a new chapter and we can let go of the past. Just These are just little um, excerpts that I want to just give to you to be a blessing, kind of an excursus in the text here. But we learn from these three signs. It is healthy as a leader to remember you are... Uh, I can't remember what I wrote here. Oh, yeah, yeah. You are not invincible. There's a typo in my notes. I said invisible. It's supposed to be invincible. You are not invincible as a leader because you're standing right here on a grave of one of your ancestors. You too are going to face death one day. So as a leader, just be, this is the sign that's going to teach you these things and prepare you and assure you at the same time. The second sign is you're going to cross paths next with three men on their way to go and worship. You can read all about the details here. And they will give you all the offerings that they had prepared. The, the food that they had prepared to be offering, they're going to give to you. And so as a leader... It's going to be good for you, Saul, to remember that um, you, you are still going to be like a beggar. It's going to feel like that. They're going to give you a food and say, no, no, I don't, I don't need your food, man. I, I'm, you can give it to the poor. But it's going to be healthy for you to remember that when you become a king, don't forget your little beginnings. Okay? That is, is the point that's going on here. Remember the simple things of life as you become king, Saul. But be assured when you meet these three guys that this is part of God's plan. You're going to be king of Israel. And the third sign they're going to find is in verse 5 and 6. You will meet a group of prophets now coming back from worship. And the group of prophets are going to be you know, prophesying in the spirit of God. And they're going to be singing and the tambourines and all that thing is going to, going to be going on. They're obviously affected by their time of worship like we are affected when we worship together and we leave God's house. Like this injection of spiritual energy that we are given by worship. And I really appreciate our worship ministry in this church. Um, for that and, and preaching and teaching ministry in our church for the same reason. And on that occasion, something's going to happen to you, Saul. The rush of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to start to prophesy with them. Something you have never done before. And it's going to give you assurance because you're going to realize in that moment that as king, you're going to be given all that you need for the job. You're going to be able to be king one day because it's going to be something you've never done before, but the Spirit of God is going to empower you and equip you to do the job. An assuring sign, right? The main point of all three of these signs is in verse 7 there. Find the summary of all the signs in verse 7. When these signs meet you, in my common language, get on with the job of being king. For, because, God is with you. That's the point. All three of these signs are designed for you. Now get on your way and you'll be assured God's going to be with you, buddy, as you become king of Israel. Now look at a detail here to drive my point home. God under, God's undercover work requires internal examination. Something is said in verse 6 and something is said in verse 9 and it's repeated for our, to highlight for us. So when you're reading, you see it twice. It's kind of a repetition in the Bible. 
you will be turned into another man. Verse 6, and God gave him another heart in verse 9. You see that? Highlighted in the Bible so we can see. We can make a little arch there so we can see the three verses and how they drive home a very similar point. And here's the point I want to make theologically. You ready for this? What God does in us by His Spirit rushing upon us, by His Spirit, works to build faith more than what God does for us by His providence. What God did for Saul and his providences was bring the donkeys home, cross paths with the great prophets, provide food for him on the road. All of that stuff is God's providences, but I want us to make this point as I close. What God does in us by his Spirit builds more faith, or does more to build our faith. Put it that way, because providences build our faith, no doubt. But what God does in us by His Spirit works to build faith more than what God does for us by His providences. And this is really God's, this is, this is God's real undercover work on display for us to see. Transformation from within is God's undercover work. But notice something very, very important. On this occasion for Saul, it was only partial. Another man and another heart, verses 6 and 9. Not a new man and a new heart. And if we miss this detail, we're going to miss the plot of what's going to go on with the king of Israel from this point onwards. Ezekiel 36, 26 is a very, very pivotal verse in understanding the entire Bible's message. And it speaks directly to this point of the new covenant. You can study this in your own time. What Jesus has done for us. Old Testament says, I will give you a new heart. Conversion. And a new spirit within you. Conversion. And I will remove a heart of stone, which we can't do. And I will replace that heart of stone with a heart of flesh, which we can't do. And I will give you a brand new heart gospel in the Old Testament. What's sad to see in Saul is that another man emerges and another heart emerges, but it's not new. No conversion happens at this point. God just makes him a king, a human being, a king. That's a new heart, a new man. He'll give you all that you need to be king, not enough to be child of God, not enough to be among the family of faith. How about an internal examination today? Don't, don't be like Saul. How's your heart doing this morning? Only God's undercover work of regeneration will give you a new heart. And the prayer needs to be, Lord, I need a new heart. I'm sorry for my stoniness. That's confession. Lord, I'm sorry for, for what I've done and who I am. I'm sorry for the rebellion that is in my heart, my rejection of you, pushing you off your throne and rightful place. That needs to happen in our heart, in our response to God this morning. Lord, I need a new heart. I don't need to be a new man. I need a new heart. Help me turn from my sin and help me to cling to you only. Should be our prayer this morning. A prayer of repentance. And then a prayer of faith would be, Lord, I want to trust your work on the cross on my behalf. I want to put my full trust in you alone for my salvation. I want to trust your undercover work of regeneration. Heart transplant. Transformation from within. 
that I might be found to be one of your children should be our response to this text. It's a detail that I don't want us to miss. God's undercover work requires internal examination. It's, I can't measure it. Nobody else can measure it except you. In the quietness of this moment, right now would be a good time for you to examine your own heart to see, has a new, has a new heart emerged from within? Has God done a work for me undercover to turn my heart from stone to flesh? A mystery that, that we've looked into for all ages. God's undercover work of salvation and rescue from our depravity. One can't help but think of another who would be a later, better Saul. One who had humble beginnings in Bethlehem. One who was a self-acclaimed shepherd. One who was filled by the Spirit. The rush of the Spirit came upon him at his baptism and he was hence equipped on that day to do an unimaginable task. One who would be regarded by many to be an unlikely choice, but one who, would, one who is sorry, currently on the throne as king of kings. His name is Jesus. Amen. God bless you. I'm going to ask uh, Jeff and Lisha. Won't you come forward, Jeff, Lisha, Hale? As we close in prayer this morning, um, this is Jeff and Lisha's last Sunday with us. Let's all go, ah. And so they're heading over to the UK um, to embark on a new adventure. And I'd like to just commit them to the Lord as they travel and, uh, and just thank the Lord for the blessing that they've been to us as a congregation. Won't you, won't you pray with me? Let's bow. Father, thank you for your word. So precious to us, Lord. The themes that matter and are relevant. Lord, I must say at the beginning of my prayer today that I, I'm sorry for rebellion. I'm sorry for our hard-heartedness. Sorry for those times that we've put something or someone or an activity or treasure, possession in your place, Lord, and we valued something other than yourself most. Lord, this is symptomatic of our depravity. And the warning has been given to us, Lord, not to uh, continue down this road, which ends in hell, rejecting you. Not only now, but forever we will reject you in hell. But Lord, to, to turn, to place our trust in you this morning. So as your spirit does that work for us, heart trans transplant, uh, transformation from within, I pray the result would be faith. Men and women putting their full trust in you alone for salvation. Oh Jesus, thank you for purchasing mercy and thank you for purchasing compassion that applies to us. It's bigger than our depravity, that's bigger than our rejection of you. Do that miracle for us today. Then Lord, as we, we part ways today, Lord, I, I want to commit my brother and sister to you, Lord. I want to thank you for the personalities that they have, the gifts that they have. Lord, that have been a blessing to this congregation. Talking about personality in 1 Samuel for the last little while, Lord. All of these details have been groomed by you. And they've been a blessing to the congregation, and I trust the congregation has been a blessing to them. In such a way that they are equipped now to go to other places and be used by you. 
I think of the mundane in their travels, just like the travels of this text, how going from one place to another, the potential will be there for Jeff and Misha to be a witness for you, Lord, to steer people's minds toward the good news of Jesus. Won't you please do that for us? And do it for them. Do it for the church. And Father, I pray that you would keep them safe. And Lord, we'd hear reports often of your grace and your goodness. For it's in God's name that we pray. And God's people said, Amen. God bless you.